Support for Old Kentucky Tales comes from the Jackson Purchase Historical Society, whose mission is to promote the interest, study, and preservation of Western Kentucky's history. Partnering with regional organizations to host events and programs, the Jackson Purchase Historical Society welcomes historians from the professional to the amateur to become a member. There are links to historical videos, biographies, archives, and more about becoming a member online at jacksonpurchasehistory.org. Under the leadership of that haughty woodsman, Daniel Boone, a large party set out for the new land, Kentucky. Where else comes to be pretty like me? I'm Colonel Harold Sanders, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have I told you you people are crazy? This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that none of its participants have ever had a job that turned us orange. Today's title is The Rosy and Riveting Story of Peggy Terry. I am your host, Brent Taylor. To my left is the man who always has a second to talk about the Second World War, Jason Donner. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Can you believe we've done this for eight years? Right. No. <laughs> It's, we call it season, but that's like a lie. Yeah, that's true. It's like three years. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah it's more, <laughs> more accurate is what you just said. In this episode of Old Kentucky Tales, our main event, we'll examine Kentucky on the World War II home front. In our bonus material, we'll hear the words of, Darth, uh, of uh, Abraham Lincoln in Darth uh-huh. Vader's voice. It gotcha. It did. It turned me around. And along the way, don't forget to support the fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. A singular request that must be granted. I have time and again requested the taxpayers of Fulton County to come forward and pay their taxes. Some responded cheerfully, while others have thus far failed to comply with this reasonable request. I shall hereafter cease to importune with those in default, but will ask their horses, mules, cattle, hogs, sheep, corn, wheat, tobacco, household and kitchen furniture, land, and tenements to pay their taxes. These will certainly respond to the demand under the manipulations of the sheriff and his deputies. B.R. Walker, Sheriff. I think you might have found my favorite thing. I love this guy. Who knew Sheriff Walker had humor? Wow. Wow. He, he wasn't being funny, though. Oh, <laughs> I know, but no, he is. He is. He's like, oh, okay. You don't want to pay it? I'll ask your mule to pay it. I like how he's going to come take your chair. Yeah. Like, dude, I you, love it. You've got to pay so... your taxes. So so smart, Alecky. So 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 perfect. I've asked. Some do it cheerfully, but others. I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm just going to take your kitchen furniture, your wheat, your corn. I love it. It's a threat, but it's it is funny. It's funny to do that. You know, he he's not just straightforward saying. He, he's tired of saying it. He was done with asking, is what that amounts to, right? That's really funny. I really think that's funny. (laughs) And now for the moment we've all been waiting for... The main event. Round one. All right, Jason, we all know about Rosie the Riveter, and we know about these jobs that women took in the factories to help support World War II. Right, so Rosie was an ad campaign, really. Right, because the 19th 
century and then the early 20th century was really big into men's jobs and women's jobs. And a whole lot of these things were considered men's work. But when they go overseas and they're not there to do it anymore, the women did it. Yeah, and that was just how it had to have be. The, uh, the unemployment rate was something like 1.2% during World War II. Yeah, sure. If you can believe that, everybody had a job. But that had that other effect of more women with financial stability, independence. They moved into the cities. Yeah, it had that impact, too. Right. And so a whole lot of people did this, and they weren't famous for it. And, and then they might have even returned to the home afterwards and, and things like that. Yeah, but they had a taste of that. Of course. And that's this story. Her name is Peggy Terry. This was originally printed in a book by Studs Terkel called The Good War. And it's all about World War II and, and how that happened. So let's hear Peggy Terry's story. The first work I had after the Depression was at a shell-loading plant in Viola, Kentucky. It is between Paducah and Mayfield. That's interesting because have you seen the Skilled Craft Training Center? One of our off-campus sites. Oh, sure, yeah. This uh, just a um, little bit north of Mayfield. Yeah, this thing is right down there near that campus. Okay. So it's, it's very close. There's nothing much left of it. Um, there were large shells, anti-aircraft, incendiaries, and tracers. We painted red on the tips of the tracers. My mother, my sister, and myself worked there. Each of us worked a different shift because we had little ones at home. How clever is that? They worked together to watch the kids... Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people just did that, too. Like, I'm going to work while you watch both of our kids. Yeah, there's three shifts. Somebody's always at home. Yeah. That is an incredible workaround. We made the fabulous sum of $32 a week. To us, it was just an absolute miracle. Right. Before that, we made nothing. Right. That's what I'm getting at. They yeah. actually had their own money coming in. There you go. You won't believe how incredibly ignorant I was. I knew vaguely that a war had started, but I had no idea what it meant. We were just moving around, working wherever we could find work. I was 18, my husband was 19, we were living day to day. When you're involved in staying alive, you don't think about big things like a war. It didn't occur to us that we were making these shells to kill people. It never entered my head. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, a little hard to believe. I mean, that's what shells are for. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get it, though, because you're there, you're picking up the paycheck, mm -hmm. you you got to stay busy producing this stuff, and I'm sure the quotas are high. You, you're just sort of walking into it, right into the front door of world politics. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I can kind of feel that, even though it sounds... Strange to say. Yeah. It's hard to put yourself into the minds of people back then and think that you're being fair about it, too. That's hard. That's yeah. actually really, really hard. There were no women foremen where we worked. We were just a bunch of hillbilly women laughing and talking. It was like a social. Now we'd have money to buy shoes and a dress and pay rent and get some food on the table. We were just happy to have work. And that comes back around to the Depression era. The unemployment rate got up there about 25% at one point. Jobs are scarce. And now suddenly, magically, here are jobs. One of the first things maybe they learn about the impact over here about World War II is that it brought us out of the Great Depression. Uh, like we said, 1.2% unemployment. That's an unheard of yeah. level of unemployment. And so that means all those people are getting this money. 
And then you you put on top of that, that all the pent up demand. So you had 10 years in the depression where you couldn't buy anything. Then you had four years where you couldn't buy anything during the war because of scarcity. After 14 years, you're ready to buy something. Right. And you got the money now. Yeah. And you've got the money. So that equals that huge explosion. We come out of there and the economy is just skyrocketing. The GDP doubled at one point. And that, that's completely unheard of. That yeah. doesn't happen. You're talking about like 1950 or even before? That period, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And it actually extends into the 60s as well. And, and the economy got even bigger. Here's how that happened. I worked in building number 11. I pulled a lot of gadgets on a machine. The shell slid under and powder went into it. Another lever you pulled tamped it down. Then it moved on a conveyor belt to another building where the detonator dropped in. Tetral was one of the ingredients and it turned us orange. Just as orange as an orange. I'm just falling into their hair and their face <laughs> and their necks and their That's hands. the whole point. She, she didn't know what it Did was. Did she know? Yeah. No. Our hair was streaked orange. Our hands, our face, our neck just turned orange. Even our eyeballs. We never questioned. None of us ever asked, what is this? Is this harmful? We simply didn't think about it. That was just one of the conditions of the job. The only thing we worried about was other women thinking we had dyed our hair. Back then, it was a disgrace if you dyed your hair. We worried what people would say. Well, there's a war on. Maybe it has something to do with that. <laughs> Who's dyeing their hair orange? Um, that's not red hair. That's orange hair. <laughs> Eventually, it wore off. But I seem to remember some of the women had breathing problems. The shell. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> it's in their eyeballs. <laughs> I have to be worried about it. Yeah, that's tough. The shells were painted a dark gray. When the paint didn't come smooth enough, we had to take rags wet with some kind of remover and wash that paint off. I got a question for you, Jason. Uh-huh. We're painting bombs that were dropping on Nazi Germany. The paint is a little off. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Why does the government want a perfect paint job right. for this bomb? Military conduct. Make it all the same in uniform. I guess that's, that's the answer. That's why they wear the uniform. <laughs> because they say so, right? Yeah. That's the, uh-huh. that's Button the up answer. your shirt there, soldier. It's a war on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, you're, if your button <laughs> is askew, yeah, then you the can't kill thing. Nazis. Discipline. Discipline, Brent. <laughs> okay. That must be it. The fumes from these rags, it was like breathing cleaning fluid. It burned the nose and throat. And I like this next part. Nothing ever blew up, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I remember the building where they dropped in the detonator. These detonators are little black things about the size of a thumb. This terrible thunderstorm came, and all the lights went out. Somebody knocked a box of detonators off on the floor. Here we were in the pitch dark. Somebody was screaming, don't move anybody! Right, right. We were down on our hands and knees crawling out of that building uh, in the storm in slow motion. If we'd have stepped on one. Sure. This war work was dangerous. You are making explosives, sure. devices, yeah. They're going to blow up every once in a while. Maybe not here, but I'm sure they did. Oh, I read the stat on that. We, we dropped an incredible number of bombs on Germany. It was just unbelievable. Right. Just the... the 
the number of tons of explosives. It wasn't right. even the number of explosives. Yeah. It was the number of tons of explosives. We were awarded the Navy E for excellence. So that's a government award that's going on back then. It says, hey, you're doing a good job in the factory. We were so proud of that E. It was like we were a big family and we hugged and kissed each other. They had the Navy band out there celebrating us. We were so proud of ourselves. The first time my mother ever worked at anything except in the fields. The first real job mama ever had. It was a big break in everybody's life. And that actually tells us that it's a little bigger than just the Depression, too. It was that agricultural economy that Kentucky still had at that time, transitioning into this more modern economy. Yeah, and it kind of forced people who maybe had a different kind of existence or job into industry, manufacturing. Yeah, that's it. And it was transformative. Yeah. We know that things like the Kentucky Ordnance Works went on to become USEC. And right. so I mean, all that's big industry kind of stuff. My world was really very small. When we came from Oklahoma to Paducah, that was like a journey to the center of the earth. It was during the Depression, and you did good having bus fare to get across town. The war just widened my world, especially after I came up to Michigan. A lot of people from this region moved uh -huh. to Detroit yeah. because that's where the industry was, and they right. had kind of got a taste for it. And now it seemed like a plausible thing to do. Exactly, and that's exactly where this goes. My grandfather went to Jackson, Michigan after he retired from the railroad. He wrote back and told us we could make twice as much yeah. in the war plants in Jackson. We did. We made $90 a week, which is amazing that there was that difference in standard of living. But, but at that time, Detroit was hot. It was one of the kind of world-class cities back in the heart of the industrial era. That's what a real live Rosie the Riveter looks like. Mm -hmm. Found herself doing that, did not plan to. No, it wasn't like, hey, I want to really make something in my... It, right. it just sort of happened. That's a great point. But I guess we probably better pay a few bills while we're at it. And this part of the program is brought to us by the Julep Saloon. Three green monsters of the deep blue sea from the Florida reefs. The largest ever seen in Louisville will be served in exquisite soup and delicious steaks. No diet so healthy this season. Prepared in a peculiar style of our own. This green monster. I see a picture of a turtle. It is a sea turtle. So this is turtle meat. Yeah. So we've had turtle soup on here before, and I've heard of turtle soup. Uh -huh. I have never heard of a turtle, turtle steak. Soup. What do you think a turtle steak would taste like? Uh, I, what did I say then? <laughs> Don't eat turtle. Yeah, you probably said that you turtle didn't want soup. it. We'd have to review the when tape. Talk, I think that when we talk about these things, somebody, as I've said before, is thinking, now I want to do that. I want turtle steak. <laughs> you think we're encouraging tonight. turtle steaks? <laughs> I think the turtle would be a tough one to even make into something edible. Don't oh, you? For, for real. I mean, I, no, I agree. It's like not like, like a chicken. Where's the meat? I mean, it, yeah, aren't they all just shell and just like just a little bit of rubbery skin? <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine a, a turtle yeah, steak. Big fat I, turtle. <laughs> You're going to need a really big turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to get a bigger turtle. <laughs> but that's, I guess that's why it's a sea turtle, right? Uh, yeah. That's the only one big enough to try this. Well, maybe they are. Maybe they're really big down there. They have yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, and you've, I mean, you've seen big turtles, like those the, the giant tortoises and things. Uh-huh. So they're apparently saying something like that. Yeah. Have at it. Go nuts. Because <laughs> they're telling that, that, that uh, for $1.50 a, $1. $1. a gallon, they'll give this to you in any quantity. <laughs> I'm going to get a bucket of turtle. 
Uh, yeah. I bet if we went to Florida, we could find a place. Of course, we could eat some a turtle burger. You think you could get it today? I don't know. <laughs> Why is it protected? I don't know. Probably. Well, it's a turtle. Okay. <laughs> We've said turtle about 30 times. <laughs> Once you say turtle for the 31st time, it turtle. starts sounding weird, right? When I when I think of a turtle, I think of like a, a, a little kid's cartoon character. You don't want to eat a turtle. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of cute, right? For a yeah. reptile. <laughs> but uh, we've got our next installment now of Darth Lincoln. Roll it, Todd. All thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it, all sought to avert it. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive. And the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. <laughs> you like Darth Vader, don't you? You like doing Darth Vader. He's kind of complicated, right? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently. He's got a few breathing things going on there. <laughs> it's a little bit like I, it's a little so deep. It's almost too deep. Like I need Darth to articulate <laughs> a little bit more. Maybe <laughs> it's ominous. He's mostly robot. He can't help it. You're trying to make a point about Lincoln here, and I don't think I'm going to like it. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the thing about it was there were some people who saw Lincoln as a Vader type character. Uh huh. That, that he was kind of like but the ultimate wrong, bad right? guy. They were wrong, right? Uh, it, of course, in the in the end, it, they were ultimately wrong about that. But that's how they were viewing it in the midst of the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got the Vader app. And you're like, hmm, Vader app. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Although it sounds like genuine breathing. It doesn't sound like. <laughs> that's just another track, didn't you? You record your own breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you layer it all together. Layer it all together. Yeah. <laughs> You you figured it out. <laughs> Kid, I stopped some time ago helping with any of this stuff. <laughs> you do your you do your own helping. You're... I haven't done a commercial in a while. I just can't. It's it's hard. It is hard to come up with like a a twist. It takes time is the main thing, and you and you have to and have that. Too. You you have to be <laughs> inspired. I and... just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, you do have to be inspired, or you could yeah just do whatever. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. You mentioned you, you said roll it, Todd. Oh, Todd. Let's go back. So, so Todd. Todd's Todd. I am Todd. We need to prod. <laughs> you got to prod, Todd. <laughs> Todd. Um, yeah, I think that we need to get Todd's essence recorded here with our voices too. Actually, I bought that cologne, and it's amazing. Essence. Essence of Todd. Yeah. <laughs> um, my point was, I want to hear from Todd. Please, God, anything from Todd. In the future, I think we need to do that. More foreshadowing. This is uh, this is getting uh, ominous, right? If you call it foreshadowing, then it's not foreshadowing. Oh, oh does it negate it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but never fail. Old Kentucky Tales never fails to return, except after this episode, maybe. You can download even more episodes on iTunes or NPR One. You can binge listen to those things. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or rate us. If you did not like it, 
then I'm sure the app is way closed at this point. Or maybe when you said Essence of Todd. <laughs> Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong. Right. The Paducah School of Art and Design. West Kentucky Community and Technical College, don't forget the ampersand, and the rest is history.